You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you this um, book that we have. It's, it's called Piercing Heaven. I think I maybe showed some of you this book before. It's, it's quite good. It's the prayer of the Puritans. And man, the Puritans, they knew how to pray. Puritans is a 17th century Calvinist movement in England. So let's pray together. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray that we may call upon your name. Prepare our heart to seek and open our ears um, so we can hear you. Almighty and eternal Lord God, you are creator and preserver of all things, both in heaven and on earth. By your gracious, gracious providence, we were at first fearfully and wonderfully made. And even now you keep us and you preserve us. We are the workmanship of your hands. And we desire to, humbly both, to humble both soul and body before your heavenly majesty. So here in your presence, Lord, this evening, we confess our unworthiness to come before you, to call upon you, or to perform the least duty that will concern your worship and glory. Because our hearts are polluted and unclean, we beg you to be gracious to us for Lord Jesus Christ, your son's sake, for the sake of his promise, his truth, his mercy, have mercy upon us. And so we pray that you would pardon and forgive all of our sins, all of our iniquities and trespasses we have ever committed against you and what we've said or what we've done. Lead us tonight in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Tonight, um, we are going to carry on in our journey through First Peter. Let me ask you a question. Um, I was just thinking about that prayer. In your own prayer life, which do you prefer? Do you, when you find yourself praying, if you pray, and when you pray, do you find yourself praying set prayers or extemporary prayers? Extemporary means, you know, you kind of make it up on, on the spot. What kind of prayers do you like to pray? I'm just curious. Extemporary. 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 So just kind of as you're thinking and as you pray. Okay, good. Yeah. Anybody like to pray set prayers? I usually pray. Ex oh, what's the word you used again? Extemporary. Extemporary. Yeah. Yes. But I found I'm more interested or becoming more interested in different prayers so I've purchased some prayer books just because I don't know it, it gives you a different perspective looking at prayer sometimes sometimes your prayer life can get a bit stagnant sometimes or you find up you're praying the same sort of thing over and over so um or there's days where I'm like I don't know what to say anymore so I just I look at the prayer book and it's, mm -hmm. it's been very inspiring yeah good oh, yeah you. Just like I say, sometimes I take, we'll say some Psalms or I'll do extemporary, but then I'll also maybe take a little verse or two from the Psalms, like rip that off. Very good. Know. Yeah, very good. Good. Yeah, I see some of you, uh, Lord's Prayer, um, uh, praying the Psalms. Yeah, and that, I mean, this, the, the book of Psalms is our prayer book, uh, teaches us how to pray. Eugene Peterson wrote a book called Answering God, and he says the Psalms are God's gift to us to teach us how, how to answer him. I like that. I like set prayers. I'm, I'm, I've always been that, you know, I'll pray, but I, 
it's almost like priming the pump in some ways. When I when I read a prayer, a set prayer, it gets it lifts up my imagination beyond what my prayers often are, which is just you know about me and and you know kind of my little world, and it just kind of helps me lift up my head a little bit. So I have a number of books that I use. Uh, set prayers and usually they 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 get me going um i just thought i'd ask because i you know it, it, everybody's different um okay so we are going to uh look at first peter well one of the things in first peter in chapter one is that the way it's structured it does uh teach us how to pray um it does teach us how to pray um right at the beginning of the letter this is what we looked at um last week um one of the things that Peter is telling us in this book, First Peter, in this letter, letter to Asia Minor, that was written probably in the 40s or 50s AD, um, probably late 40s, is that to be a Christian, and this is important, to be a Christian is to be a, a very strange person. <laughs> That's one of the themes of chapter one. Um, or yeah, in, in, in the two verses that we looked at last week, we are strangers in a strange land and try as we might, we do not, and we will never fit in. And that's why I always find it funny when Christians try to be cool because it's in our very nature not to be cool. And so why bother trying to be cool? Um, Christians are odd. Uh, they are peculiar people. And this oddness, may explain as well as elicit opposition that we experience. Um, that could be why we experience some opposition. Now, we can't rule out the fact that some people experience oppositions because they're being twits or they're just <laughs> doing something dumb or something like that. You know, leave that one aside. But um, if you follow Jesus in the world today, it will make you odd and more often than not it will provoke opposition i remember seeing christians very devout christians uh in my circle when i was living in china and i thought these are one odd bunch and my reaction to them was these guys are jerks i hate them and i made fun of them i mocked them I, i've shared this before um even though they hadn't done anything wrong really to me and they're in fact they were only kind to me but uh, there's something about it that just kind of made me feel uneasy. And I think it was my own sin that uh, I wasn't dealing with, right? And so 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, uh, which is what we looked at last week, Peter describes us as elect exiles. What an interesting phrase that is, a set of words. We are temporary resident aliens and as aliens living in a land that's not our own, we will often garner unsympathetic reaction. And this looks at, in different ways, I think this, um, this, this reaction could be, you know, a nasty comment on Facebook, or if you're in a different part of the world, it could be arrest and persecution, right? But we can't miss the, the key point uh, so far is that followers of Jesus belong to God and they have to navigate the, 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 the very difficult path of not being drawn into this world and yet still sharing 
the truth of Jesus with this world. Now, how many of you find that a very difficult tension or a very difficult line to walk? I find that so hard because on one hand, we're not supposed to fit in. This world is not our home. Oh, okay. On the other hand, we're supposed to share the truth of Jesus with the world. And therefore, you need to be able to understand the world and speak the world's language and communicate in a way that, you know, that resonates. And so it's, a vi- it's always been a very difficult line to walk. But Peter tells us at the beginning of 1 Peter, he says, and he called to do and who are called to be. Um, he talks about being an elect exile, that um, the Trinity shapes the origin, the structure, and the manner of our life. The origin is it all comes from God. The Father is God who, who sets us in this world that's not our own. He elects us to be in this world that's not our own. So the origin comes from God the Father. The manner, he, he sets us into this world. Why? So that we can learn obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what we read in the first two verses. And the goal of the Christian life is to be holy, is to be set apart, to be consecrated. He talks about the sprinkling with his blood, right? And so Peter desires for us um, to, to live this life. And then he says, and I pray that you would have a truckload of mercy and grace upon your life, that you would experience the entire scope of salvation and the peace uh, that, that is a consequence of this salvation. So that's what we looked at last week, right? Now, tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to carry on in verse three. Um, now, the structure of this this passage is, is quite interesting. In some ways, it's, it's like your typical Roman letter. After, in, in a typical Roman letter or in a Jewish letter in the first century, you would have somebody say, you know, you know I, and Peter, or I, David, you know, you'd, you'd identify yourself. And then, and then what you would do is you would, um, you would usually say a, a blessing or a prayer or something, or some good wishes to, 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 to the people you're addressing. Well, Peter does that. He begins in verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is typical. The only thing is, is Peter, Peter is a pastor and there's an occupational hazard if you're a pastor. And you know what that is? Uh, Don't answer that. I actually wasn't looking for an answer there. (laughs) In case you're going to say something mean. Um, The occupational hazard for being a pastor is that you talk too much. And you're like, no, not you, David. And I'm like, thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, but it's, it's, it is true. And, and so Peter, he starts off by saying, you know, blessed. <laughs> Too many puns. Yeah, that's the other occupational hazard. Uh, he starts off, you know, in the, in the proper form. And then he gets thinking. And then he gets preaching. And then he gets theologizing. And before you know it, he's kind of, he's off on his own track. And so what results is a very, very complicated sentence. Verses 3 to 12 in Greek is one sentence, right? He would lose marks if he was a student of mine. You know, you know that's too long of a sentence. Um, but it's, so it's a complicated sentence, but oh man, is it ever full? Is it ever rich? And that's the story of First Peter. There's so much packed into these chapters. 
If I were to summarize what Peter's saying in these in these next few verses in chapter in verses three to twelve, it'd be something like this: uh, three things. One, you've experienced salvation despite your suffering. Secondly, you love Jesus despite not seeing him. And thirdly, even now, despite all that you're going through, you're experiencing salvation. That's those are the kind of the key. The key points. Now, there's lots more, but uh, let's let's look a little more closely at these verses. So let's read it together. Or I'll read it and you can follow along. Um, verse 3. Blessed be the God. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that you have uh, now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Wow, that is a packed sentence. <laughs> There's so much in there. Okay, so one sentence in Greek. I like the ESV. They give it a shot. I think they broke it into maybe three or four. Um, you, you get this impression at the beginning. Peter, you know, he's just overflowing with praise to God. And then he starts thinking about the implications, what God has done, and he just cannot help himself. He's just so overwhelmed. And then he starts reflecting theologically. What has God done for us? And he's doing this for our benefit. And he wants to remind the church, including us tonight, what God has done for us. Now, what has God done for us? Well, let's, let's lean in. Let's lean in uh, and hear what, uh, what the news that even angels long to see, right? Was it even angels long to look? So what are some key ideas? Well, he begins at verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay. So he begins by reminding his readers that God is worthy of praise. And he uses this interesting language. He says, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we can't just ignore 
the word Lord. The word Lord in Greek is this word kurios. Think of the word curious. That's how I always remember the Greek word kurios. Uh, that's the word for Lord. Well, it's the Greek equivalent of what you find in the Old Testament, uh, which is translated, which is Yahweh. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is not just some title. It's like, oh, okay, he's kind of special. It, there's an echo from the Old Testament that elevates uh, the person of who Jesus is. He is the Lord. He is curious. So it's a very high view of Jesus. And that runs all throughout, all throughout the, um, the letter. And he says, God acts in mercy to show love and compassion. So interesting word, mercy. Mercy um, means, of course, you know, showing people kindness who don't deserve it, right? So Natalia cuts me off and I almost get into an accident. I would show mercy and say, and not say anything to her, right? I, I will not give to her what she deserves, which is a, a honk of the horn, right? So that's mercy. But it's interesting, the word mercy can also, there's also an echo from another word, and it's a uh, Hebrew word, and then the word is chesed. Uh, and that word means God's relational love. So God, uh, so his mercy is, is, is the covenantal love that God shows his people. So it's a loaded word. And so Peter begins this section by praising God for what he has done. Okay, what, what has God done? Well, he says, God has shown us incredible mercy because remember, who's he writing to? Is he writing to Jews or to Gentiles, do you think? Gentiles? Gentiles, yeah, mostly Gentiles. Uh, there must be some Jews there because he uses a lot of Jewish language. But he also uses language that seems to suggest that they're new converts. Remember that First Peter is thought to maybe have been used for those who are considering baptism. It's like a baptism class. And so it looks like there's at least quite a number of pagans, probably a lot of slaves, because um, he addresses slaves in there. Um, and so... He's reminding them, hey, you guys were on the outside looking in. You were, as we read in Ephesians, you were having no hope and without God in this world. But we are in Ephesians. It says, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, has shown his mercy, right? And then he says something interesting. He says, he says God brings believers into, and he says, new birth. What does that remind you of? Can you think of a passage when you think about new birth? Was it the, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? Well done. Yeah, 10 points for Gryffindor. <laughs> well done. Uh, yeah, that was, that was really good. It's true. Yeah, it's a kind of an echo of Jesus's conversation to Nicodemus. And he says, you know, if you, you, when he tells him you need to be born again, right? And so the picture is, is that in Jesus, you and I have been born again spiritually. Uh, now that's a term, born again. Boy, I'll tell you, it depends on your age. But that's a term that is used quite often. Um, 
you know, often, are, are, are you a born again Christian? You, you usually have to say with a Southern accent, you born again, but it is actually a very strong biblical term. And uh, I think about people who have been born again. Like, do you, you know people, right, in your life that you've seen who did not know Jesus and then were born again? Would you, would, do, do you know people like that? Yeah? Thumbs up. Give me some reaction. Yeah? Okay. Um, okay. When a person is born again, do you notice anything? This is a strange question, but do you notice anything physically different about the person? And if so, what do you notice? The soul. I would say the eyes. The eyes. Well done, Denisa. Yeah. What do you notice? Um, maybe they're warmer. Um, they look yeah. different. Sure. They do. They do look different. I think you can see light in their eyes. I, like it, it sounds strange just saying this, but and I think I've shared this before, but I remember when I, um, I came back from China, I, I wasn't a Christian. I just came back for a week and uh, I was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker. I was up to no good. I was very, very angry. But one of the things I had to do is renew my license because I'd been out of the country for so many years. And uh, when I came back, or so when I went, came home, I had to renew my license. I remember looking at my license, my picture, my eyes were as black as coal. They really were. They were so black. And, um, and, and there is a transformation that takes place. And Peter talks about, you know, being born again. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit brings you from death to life. And you can see it. You, I think you can see it in people's eyes when they go from death to life. And then he, he, Peter says something interesting. He says, he, says, he says something more. He says, there's more than new birth. Um, he's also given us a living hope. A living hope. Now that is interesting language. Um, he is, how is this a living hope? And again, remember we said this last week, but hope is one of the key themes in the book of First uh, Peter. Um, it's a living hope. And he says, we have a living hope. How? Um, a living hope, hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we know we have, we have a, so our hope is living. It's a living hope because we know Jesus has been raised from the dead. That when you and I die, death will not have the final word. The final word is resurrection. Why? Because our hope has gone before us and he's living. He's at the right-hand side of the Father. Wow, that is, so, so our future resurrection is certain. It's a living hope because of Jesus' resurrection. And so believers have a living hope and we can experience this daily. And so it's not this empty hope. It's not a pie in the sky. Gee, I sure hope to, you know, I go to, I go to heaven when I die. No, because Jesus has defeated death. So too shall we. Right. So, and that's <laughs> friends that that is just one verse. <laughs> Look at verse four. He says, he says, uh, because uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow. So, I mean, what Peter's getting at is, if you're a stranger in a strange land, you're going to often feel funny. Um, 
But what Peter is saying is like, yeah, you may feel funny. You may feel worthless. You may be criticized. Uh, you may have people accuse you of all sorts of strange things. And the early Christians were accused of. What were they accused of? Does anybody know? By the Romans? Yeah, we know. Like, like they did stuff with each other because they called each other brothers and sisters. Yeah, they were accused of incest because they called each other brothers and sisters. What and else then they drank blood. Yeah, accused of cannibalism, right? Um, and they're, you know, greeting each other with a holy kiss. Well, we all know what that means, right? They're accused of all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but what Peter reminds us, what God reminds us through Peter, is that what keeps us going, even when people are, are, are critical, is uh, what keeps us going is that we have this inheritance. Something wonderful is uh, lying ahead of us. And, and what is waiting? It's an inheritance. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that's an interesting phrase, uh, interesting term, inheritance. Now, in Canada, you think about an inheritance. When, when do you get an inheritance? When your parents die. When your parents die. That's the theory, right? In the first century, in the Jewish context, it's, it's a little bit different. It is, um, it is that you have a legal claim. You have a legal claim to the property even while your parents are still alive. You think of the, the, the um, uh, what was it? The parable of the, uh, of the, uh, of the prodigal? The prodigal son. I was going to say the younger son, the prodigal son. Yeah. Um, you think about that. He says to his dad, he says, give me my inheritance now. And this idea is that you can, your inheritance is actually, it's not given, but it's a guarantee while the parents are still alive. We're in, in, in Canada, it's like, okay, when you die, let's see in the will if, if anything was left for you. It, it was different. It was, it was a sure thing that you could actually claim or lay claim to or recognize while you're still alive. And so, um, and so that's the picture that, uh, that Peter has. But there's more to that because the word inheritance, he's talking about this inheritance that we have as Christians. This is what's going to keep us going when we have hard times. Um, inheritance. How is inheritance used in the Old Testament? Does anybody know? It shows up many, many times in the Old Testament. What, what is the inheritance for the people of God? Covenantal promises. The covenantal promises that are expressed in what? In, mm-hmm. in the land. land yeah. In the land. In the promised land. And so it's, it's interesting language that's being used. It's like, it's like you have an inheritance. Because of Jesus, you have an inheritance uh, that is guaranteed. And it's also an inheritance um, of the promised land. That... Uh, that that you and I, though we may experience trouble now, in the words of the old hymn, we are bound for the promised land. And this is kept safely by God 
and it's the the, the image is, is that of, of being protected from 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 enemy attacks. So that's pretty huge. That's pretty huge because if you think about it, it means whatever you experience now, and this is kind of the theme of this passage tonight. Whatever you experience, some of you may, we, we may all experience if, if the economy collapses, uh, what it means to be extremely poor, um, what it means to be oppressed, um, you know, and, and, and people around the world, like in, in, if you're a Christian in, in Turkey, for example, um, it, there's, there's limitations in terms of the jobs you can get. And more often than not, you're consigned to poverty and you're marginalized and you're suffering. Now, how do you keep going when this is your life day after day? Well, you can persevere because you know there's a vast estate that's down the road. There's a vast estate that's down there that we can, we can hold on in light of the future. And I'll tell you, that is a huge theme that runs through scripture, not just First Peter. I'm studying Revelation this week as well, um, to preach on Revelation this week. Um, this is Peter's, it's his purpose. He emphasizes, he says, this is an inheritance. How does he describe it? He says, it's an inheritance that will never perish, that can never be defiled, and will never fade away. It can never be spoiled in any way. That is a powerful promise. You see, Peter, he's just getting warmed up. He's he's gone far from oh blessing to the Lord. He's like he's he's starting to you know just really dive into theology. Well, it gets gets even greater. Look at verse five. He says, "This is the inheritance that is kept in heaven for you." He says, "Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time." In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Um, it's interesting. He talks about um, the salvation that's ready to be revealed. Um, that um, he's again calling us to live in light of the reality of the salvation that that is given to us in Jesus Christ. He says, "In this salvation, you and I rejoice," and it should should cause us to rejoice. And he says, you may experience trouble. And again, this is the perspective of this passage. He says, you may experience trouble. And then how does he descri describe the trouble? The, the, the duration. He says, for a little while. For a little while. He says, even though you may experience trouble for a little while, maintain this perspective that this life is not all there is. That there's this glorious inheritance. You guys have all known, uh, maybe you've heard me give this example before. I'm, I'm sure you have, but who cares? It's such a good example. Um, in C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle, at the very end, so this is a Chronicles of Narnia, and it's the very last book, and it's the very last part of the last book. And uh, if you know the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, it's just these children going into this magical world. They encounter this lion named Aslan, who kind of represents Jesus. And, um, at the very end, the children discover, you know, they're, they're in the presence of Aslan again, and they think they're gonna be sent back to their worlds again. And, the, and Aslan says, have you not figured out what happened? And they're like, what? And he says, there actually was a real 
train crash. He says, you are what you would call in your world. You are dead. But then he says this, he says, or Lewis says this, he goes, and then these children, they were overjoyed because they were able to spend time in the presence of Aslan, Jesus, right? And, and Lewis ends the book, he says, and now he says, he says, now they're entering into a story. And he says, your entire life, your entire life has been like a cover page of a book, a title page. Your whole life is like a title page. And now you're going to enter into this inheritance um, where the book goes on forever and every chapter is better than the chapter before. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of, of eternal life. And knowing of this inheritance and knowing what lies ahead, what we experience in our lifetime, even in the sufferings that we experience by comparison are a little while. It's interesting. Um, and I think a lot of the times we struggle because we look at this life as our only life. Um, and we think, you know, we, we look at the entirety of our life as, as, as this is this is the whole thing. This is why Christians need to be so heavenly minded that we can be of some earthly good. Um, what's his, uh, uh, Richard uh, Baxter, who's a Puritan, another Puritan, says we need to live every day with eternity on our minds. So let me ask you this. Oh, actually, this is the time of our program where we get to enjoy a Zoom breakout room. Yes, I know you're waiting for that moment. The moment has come and I can see the rejoicing looks. Some of you are ready to turn off your camera and your audio. Don't you dare do that. Uh, lean in. There's nothing more awkward than a Zoom breakout call, a Zoom breakout room. Uh, but here's a question for you. No, Reese, come on, Reese, it's fun. Yeah, Mike likes it. Yay, breakout rooms. Um, here's a question. It's a fun question, though. How, what are the challenges that you face in living life in light of eternity? Like, like how does that sit with you? And, and be honest. You can be like, well, that sounds great, but, you know, things really are terrible now, and I, I don't like that, or, or I can't get my head around it. Whatever it happens to be, just be honest. What is it like? Because it's not easy. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. What are the challenges you face in living life in light of eternity? Very good. So I'm going to break you into a breakout room. It won't be long and it won't be painful. It'll be okay. And I'll bring you back in a few minutes. Okay, here we go. All right. Hey, that wasn't hey. so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> All right. Well, let me hear from you. Let me hear from you. What, uh, what are some of the challenges? Uh, what were some of the challenges of living light, uh, life in light of eternity? It's hard to say. I think they come up. Well, um, it's hard to accept a lot of these trials, but we, it's part of the refining process. Oh, you're, you're yes. getting ahead, Irene. You're getting ahead. Yeah. yeah it burns right. away the impurities. Oh, you're reading ahead. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't know. Was that in the notes? Because I don't have the notes. I couldn't no, print them that, up. That's in Peter. I know. But I know. But I, I didn't know whether you had written that. Yeah. 
But I was going to say that I couldn't print off notes. But anyways, ah, so yeah. And, um, and for me, um, having lost uh, loved ones, you know, at early ages, I, for me, knowing that I'm going to see them in turn, you know, I know where they are. And I, to me, that's a real comfort to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it comes back to that living hope, right? That living it's the hope, hope. yeah. Yeah, you, you do. I do a funeral for, and it's a Christian funeral. Um, it's it's a whole different ball game because it's it's we will see each other again, and uh, yeah, it's so different. It's a world of difference. Yeah, I've done. It, lots it of definitely it definitely is. You know, I've had friends that weren't Christians, and just to see the difference. Yeah, it's, 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 it's striking just to see it. I think, wow, I don't know how they're, they're making it with have, not having the Lord on their side, you know? Well, and that's the thing, like, and, and all of us, it's not like, oh, look at us. We, you know, we did so well being Christians. I mean, it's, 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 it's grace that, uh, that, that, you know, I was, we were all, I hate to use this term, but we were all objects of wrath. Uh, we were all far away without hope. And yeah. And so here we here we are. I mean, uh, it's it's a work that Jesus does that that saves us, right? And so it's not like oh, you know, we have some inside scoop. It's 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 God's grace. And tell you something oh, funny. So just something funny to put a little levity in this. Um, in one of the offices I worked with many years ago, there was a gal that became a new Christian. And she was so on fire for the Lord that she came into the office and she was asking everybody, are you saved? Are you saved? <laughs> are you born again? Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's attention. That's attention. And, and you know, I, I know Michelle knows this because of uh, Alpha. I mean, when people go through Alpha and they come to faith, they are just on fire. And they yeah. are just going to be, they have a whole circle of friends. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Like one of the things that Peter says, and we'll ne we won't solve this problem tonight. Maybe Kevin can. If uh, Kevin Davis is here tonight, he's our he's a good theologian. Maybe he could uh, help us. He's, he talks about um, he talks in in, in um, yeah in verse four. Okay. Verse four or no, verse five. He talks about um. Who by God, yeah, verse five, who by God's power, we're talking about by God's power, we're being guarded. So by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation. I think that's so interesting. This interplay of God's power and our faith. And I was wondering if you could just help me with the idea of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Did anybody? <coughs> it's interesting the number of times in the bible you will have a sentence that will lay out the reality that and it's two sides of the same coin that um or it's the same side of the i don't know how the expression goes either way um it's the idea that there is responsibility on our part in faith and yet God keeps us by his power and he draws us by his power. And I don't know how that works, but every now and then it's good to point it out because 
the Bible holds those mis- holds this mystery as a po- as a positive mystery. It is a positive mystery. It's not a mystery as in ah, who knows? It's a mystery in the sense that this is what the Bible teaches: is that there's human agency and God's sovereignty, and the two go together. How they go together, I'm not sure. But I I, I like whenever I see that, I just it's just an affirmation that that is part of the, of the Christian life. Um, I have troubles with that, uh, those words that say the salvation that is yet to be revealed. I mean, we. Yeah, well, and that's interesting, Sumi, because what Peter says in this passage is interesting how he uses salvation, because salvation is something that we have experienced. Yeah. It's something we are experiencing, and it's something we will experience. All three dimensions are captured in this passage. And I think it's pointing to the work that Jesus has done, the work that Jesus is doing, and then the final consummation when all is said and done. And I think the Bible uses uses, um, salvation in that sense, in that that past, present, and future sense. It's all-encompassing. But in and often how we speak is like when were you saved as as a past thing. But I think yeah. it's it's an ongoing. Uh, I think we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Uh, that we'll seems be. to be what 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 is taught. Yeah. <laughs> if that helps at all, <laughs> yeah. It's, okay, let's look at verse six. We've got to make our way through this passage. Um, he says, "In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved." by various trials, so that, Irene, this gets to your point, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, It's interesting. Peter says, he says, uh, in this you rejoice, though, though, and this is a theme all throughout the letter. It's a theme of although you may suffer. There is, if I don't know how many of you underline the word suffer. Did anybody do that last week? That was your homework. Yeah, Jack. And what did you notice? Sorry? What did you notice when you underline the word suffer? It's there a lot. It's there everywhere. Like it's, it yeah. is a key theme that runs throughout the, the, the book of First Peter. Absolutely. So it says, um, you've been grieved. Uh, in this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So what is he saying? It's interesting. He says, you may be experiencing trials right now. And then, but then he, the word, if necessary is interesting, if necessary. And so what does that mean? Well, it points to the fact that God may deem it necessary for you and I to be grieved by various trials. Why? Well, trials, he can use these trials to accomplish his good purposes. And these trials, and they're not just little trials. He says these trials that grieve us, they, uh, they are trials that could hurt or distress us, but they are necessary for our faith to be purified. Um, He's not saying our faith is more precious than gold. He's saying to be tested and to be shown genuine in your faith, to be shown steadfast in your faith, that is more precious than gold. So let me ask you this question. 
what is the difference between a temptation and a trial? Oh, I might have it in your notes. Oh, don't look at the notes. <laughs> you all look down as soon as I said that. Without looking at your notes, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? I think in Greek, it's the same word. Uh, I would say that a trial is something that uh, is very on uh, ongoing and something that is tempting is something that happens more so like in a, uh, in a uh, moment or an instant. Oh, and so a trial is ongoing. A temptation is instant. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There might be something there. What else? I think of a temptation as, as it's, um, it's a en enticement to do something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's, it's something that if we do it, will destroy us eventually or immediately. It depends what you're being tempted to do. Uh, yeah, so how is that different from a trial then? I was going to say that uh, the same as for a temptation, but a trial is something that you have to endure. Mm. And it's not necessarily something that entices you and that you choose. It's something that is dealt you and you have to endure. Mm. A Go ahead. I would say a trial grows you towards Jesus and a temptation can take you away from Jesus. Mm. Well, that's good. Yeah. I saw Joseph uh, trials uh, from God, temptation from, from the devil, from the evil one. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. Got this Go ahead. One from the... Sorry. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, yeah. Uh, trial, you could end up dead. Destruction causes death, whereas temptation uh, tempts you to either worship yourself, power, you know, Satan's you know, the three temptation of the of the body needs, you know. And, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So you could actually run away from temptation, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, they come for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think trials come our way so that God can, you know, he can test how strong our faith is. Temptations um, can have the same effect, but the very nature of a temptation, uh, it doesn't come, the source is not God. That's important. And that temptations are their intention as, as um, Lisa and Lori and you guys have been saying, uh, the, the intention is, is destructive. It is destructive. And so, as we resist temptations, our faith is purified. It, 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 we do grow, but the very nature of what we're facing is different. Uh, trials come our way. Um, and as we face our trials, as we overcome our trials, you know, it could be a trial of poverty or it could be a trial of, of sickness. It could be those sorts of things. Um, the when a trial becomes a temptation is where we begin to doubt God's goodness. And we begin, um, it, it draws us away. It pulls us away from God. It causes us to, to doubt his goodness and his love. Um, I think it's important for us. To, and so usually the evil one, when he tempts us, I find this, somebody explained this to me once years ago. This was helpful for me. Um, how I can tell whether or not what I'm facing is a trial or a temptation, because it's not always easy, is this is a try as a temptation will always um, attack you as a person. 
and a trial will draw you close to God. Well, it will draw you uh, close to, to, to cling to God. A temptation will say to you, uh, and you call yourself a Christian and you do this sort of thing. And I can't believe that you, you, you know, so-called, you know, follower of Jesus Christ would do or think or say such a stupid thing. And it goes after you as a person where a trial is a circumstance. And as, as you respond to the trials, you're drawn, you're, you're drawn to, to God. You're drawn to cling to him. So that, that's one of the ways you can distinguish between the two. Anyhow, um, these are the trials that, uh, that may grieve us for a time, if necessary. But the point is, as, as uh, Irene was pointing out earlier on, is that our faith can grow, our faith can be purified. Um, and so what Peter, again, is doing is he's reminding us to embrace the larger picture of life, larger picture of what life is all about. Remember your inheritance. Um, remembering that the trials or even the temptations you experience are temporary um, and the outcome. And this is a theme in the book of revelation. If you remain steadfast um, is, you know, the, the, the goal is to make it to the end. Right. And the praise and honor and glory that uh, Peter talks about, look in verse seven, he says, yeah, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is glory? Glory is that when you respond to trials well, people see the very character of Jesus in you. That's what glory is. The glory of God is his character. And so when you, when you show steadfastness, and, and I've seen many of you go through difficult times and the way you've gone through them, what I've seen in you is the glory of God. God manifested in how you're living. That's what Peter's getting at in this passage. Let's, let's shift, uh, let's carry on. Just looking at the time, verse, verse eight, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, I love that. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Oh, there you go, Sumi. That's the, that's the result is the salvation of your souls. That, those those three, three dimensions again. And um, what Peter is getting at is that um, we show that we, we are, have allegiance to Jesus when we can live our lives in a larger reality that we cannot see in our, with our physical eyes, including the reality of Jesus. How many of you find it hard? <laughs> this is maybe too, too loaded of a question. Maybe think about this. You don't have to put up your hand. One of the challenges, let me put it this way, one of the challenges of the Christian life is to love someone you cannot see. Not just, I'm just being honest. I mean, to love Jesus, I cannot see him. I can read about him. I can experience the work of the Holy Spirit in my life so I can experience him. And yet I cannot see him. 
And what it's interesting because the, the, the people in the church, Peter commends them. He says, you love him though you have not seen him, though you cannot see him. Uh, but you still love him. And I think that is a real challenge in our Christian life is to learn to love Jesus. Um, does anybody else find, find that difficult or is it just, it could just be me. I think, I think the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes in leaving you, yeah. he helps your spirit to be able to touch Jesus' spirit and Jesus' spirit can touch you. So yeah. he's the intermediary. And so if you, the more you are being changed, repent, meaning turn around and you see God's love, God's joy through your inner being, your inner eye, your inner, your eternal life that's given to you. Then the more love you receive from him, the more you are able to love others and, and to love him. Good. So that's how, yeah. I, that's how I have that joy and that peace, not because of what I can see, yeah. but how he loves me through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit yeah. and through the power that I see happening around me. So those yeah. are the, there are so many things that, that is, uh, that compounded yeah. to confirm my, my, uh, my relationship with Jesus. So it's not Very. just what I see. It's also. Very good. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I found it really hard at the beginning when I was first a Christian, but then after a bunch of things happened, and you had to lean on him so much, and he was faithful through those things. Then you come to realize that you do love him like you could love anybody else, more than you can love anyone else, because he's so faithful, and he's so um, I don't know. He just he just comforts you through everything. So yeah. yeah, at the beginning, I thought, how do you love someone you can't see? Yeah, but through time. And you can do it. You know, Don, I'm so glad you say that. And I just want to point out the, the, the deep connection between, and I think this runs through the book of Peter, First uh, Peter, is the deep connection between the trials we face in this life and our love for Jesus. Yep. I find that people, I remember my old professor saying to me, he says, there's a world of difference between a 12 year old kid coming up and saying to you, God is good. And, uh, you know, 70 year old person who's, you know, maybe lost a spouse or is going through suffering or cancer. And they look at you and they say, God is good. There's a world of difference. Mm -hmm. And that love that you have for Jesus in the midst of the trials. And I think that's what Peter's saying is like, you're going through trials for a little while. Get your, you know, have perspective, remember your inheritance, and you love Jesus in, in, in the midst of the, not despite the trials, but in the trials, your love for Jesus is growing. Mm -hmm. And I love in the book of Revelation that the, 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 the culmination of the entire Christian life is what? Is we will see him face to face. Mm -hmm. We will see his face. Isn't that powerful? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, and that foretaste that we have right now it fills us with joy inexpressible. Yeah. 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 No, that's 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 powerful. David, I was wondering if we love Jesus, uh, who we cannot see, in the same way that we love a baby before it's born. 
Uh, so you're all excited for the hope of the child to be born. I remember my two kids and you'd remember your three kids before they're born, but you see the evidence <laughs> of them coming, right? And then when you actually can see them face to face, it's like, wow, now my hope and joys have been sort of uh, revealed. Yeah, and so you now course. see them. And so First uh, John 3, 1 and 2, I quoted there, talks yeah, about we will see it. him as we see him uh, because we'll see him as he is sort of. It's yeah. like, wow, we can imagine Christ right now. He, as Peter says, lives in us through his spirit, et cetera. And one day we will be able to see him in person. Yeah, uh, that's, we'll the, that's, a, that's a brilliant analogy because, you all, I mean, you can stretch it a little further that as our kids grow up, they become more and more the person that they are. And as we grow in our faith, we become, we can see Jesus more and more for who he is. Uh, that's, that's, that's really rich, guys. Well done. Um, I like your example. Um, I'm a visual person, maybe like 80% visual. Yeah. But I never really thought about loving Jesus with my eyes. I kind of felt it in my heart. Yeah. Just like with the baby, for women, it's a little bit easier because you can feel it. Just right? a little bit. Eh? You can, you know, <laughs> and you can, you can love them in your heart before they yeah. are even born. Yeah. So for me, that's how it goes. Like, I see Jesus in my heart. Hmm. Uh, that's, oh, man, well, well done. I, uh, I'm a bit like Natasha. I, I want to say that uh, I think this is a very... This is what changes my life. Jesus wanted me to love him. He wanted me to die for him, take up the cross. But I only do all that because he loves me. He gives me the power. He gives me the hope, give me the joy. So talking about loving Jesus more because of trials. Yeah, that's probably will be true. But going to trial, if I did not receive a lot of love for Jesus, a lot of hope from Jesus, knowing him, for sure of who he is and how much he loves me on a daily basis, going through the trial will break me. Yeah. So I'm just saying that, that if you're looking for the, the, the strength to love Jesus more while trial come, it's not, I'm not going to make it personally. I think I only make it because I'm living in Jesus and he loving me and pouring his love and his glory and his joy and his power in me. So when trial come, hey, I can face tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, well done. Yeah. It's the work of the spirit in you, right? It's, it's the, the empowering presence of Jesus in your life. Make, well, I love that. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go I ahead. I love that him because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's I love right. that. <laughs> oh, very good. Wow. This is excellent. Okay. So let's, let's get to our last few verses. Um, you know, it's only, well, it's only nine verses, but you see what Peter does. He just, he yeah. just, Throws everything but the kitchen sink into it. It's very deep. It is rich. Yeah. So verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in the things that uh, have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Wow. Now, what do we find in this passage? I, like, I love this because by this time, Peter has forgotten that he's praying. He's just, he's, he's, he's off somewhere, right? Um, 
he's giving us a theological discussion instead of, uh, but what's he say? It's interesting what he says here because he's telling us something about the Old Testament. He's, he's showing a Christian use of the Old Testament, which is important for us to see. He's saying, yes, the Old Testament prophets, they did speak into their day. They did speak into their time. Absolutely. Um, but the Old Testament prophets also had a future orientation that concerned Jesus. And the prophets inquired and searched carefully. Later on, we'll see, you know, Peter, he quotes a lot of the Old Testament, a lot of Isaiah. And he says, what the prophets, he says, these prophets in the Old Testament, they're serving. They're serving the church in many ways. What they foretold is the evangelistic message of the church. And what, what they foretold, uh, the evangelists were able to take and by the Holy Spirit share with the church and this prophet these prophecies that we come across were of the coming of jesus were for both jews and gentiles and that angels themselves angels themselves long to look into this angels are not omniscient they 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 uh but what it tells us is that you and i are more i won't say fortunate we are more blessed in some ways we have more insight than 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 angels uh, this is what we've been given. We've seen the fulfillment. We've experienced the fulfillment of these prophecies. And, um, and it, it, it tells us that um, the Old Testament, and this is important for the early church, is that the Old Testament had direct relevance to the Christian and that there's a continuity. That's why you need to read the whole Bible, uh, not just the New Testament. There's a continuity of revelation of God. And the church can, can adopt these prophecies that we see laid out in the Old Testament. Um, there's one other thing that he says that I think we need to, to, to look at. And he, he has a lot more to say about suffering, but he talks about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, the sufferings of Christ. And he talks about the glory that is connected to and that follows suffering. And what he's saying, he's, he's saying something about their lives. He's saying that, look, you may, again, you may experience suffering. But what follows suffering is glory. What follows the suffering on the cross is resurrection and glory, ascension and glory. And you, the church in Asia Minor, you, the church in Coquitlam, <laughs> um, you may be experiencing tough times. But what follows suffering, when, when you invite God into it, is glory. And, 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 and what the, the suffering does it is it tests the genuineness of your faith, but will lead you into glory. And uh, I think that's an important point. Um, and, and so what Peter's going to talk about then is he's going to, and, and this is something what, we'll, what we're going to get into next week, but what Peter has been doing in chapter one is he's been setting the table. He's saying, this is, this is just a bit of what Jesus has done for you. Yes, you are experiencing trials. You're experiencing suffering. This is just, for, but you experience this for a little while. In light of eternity, it's not that long. 
But you have to realize that in Jesus, this is your living hope. This is your inheritance. This is the love that he has for you. And he just unpacks it all. He says, this is your reality. And then starting next week, what does he do? He shifts gears and he says, okay, this is your reality. So now this is how you're to live in light of this reality. uh, Let me put it differently. He begins, for you grammar nerds out there, he begins with the indicative. This is the state of being. And then he moves to the imperative. So this is how you, this is what you are to do. Now I say this, and I'm going to say it again next week. If to understand the gospel, to understand the New Testament, you have to get this right. If you understand Paul, you have to get this right. The indicative, who we are in Christ, the realities of Jesus, needs to come before the imperative, how we are to live. And the reason why I'm saying this is that I've met too many Christians that have switched those. They say, this is what I need to do in order for God to love me. This is what I need to do in order to get an inheritance. This is what I need to do in order to be forgiven. And the whole story of of the Bible is like, no, this is what God has done. This has all been done. This is all the living hope. This is all he has for you. So now this is how you live. Oh, friends, if you get that backwards, and I've met too many Christians who get it backwards, what you essentially do is you remove the cross. And the result is, again, the theological term is you are toast. Um, You are in a lot of trouble. And so we find the same pattern in 1 Peter. He begins with the indicative. What a glorious picture we saw in verses 3 to 12 of who, of all that's in store for followers of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has done. And then once we get to next week, it'll be like, and you'll see that you'll say, therefore, therefore, okay, this is how you need to live. You, you read Paul, Paul does the exact same thing. This is who you are. And then by the time you get to, let's say Colossians chapter three, he goes, therefore, as God's holy and loved ones, dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, good. He's, this is all the consequence of who we already are because of grace. You with me on that? This is so important. You got to get this right because this is the gospel. If you get this wrong, you are it's going to kill you because you're going to be trying so hard to earn God's love and you're going to mess up and you think God's mad at you and then you're going to walk away. <laughs> I've just seen it happen too many times in 21 years of pastoring. So, um, yeah, that's where we... Uh, so to sum up, to sum up, okay, what is Peter doing? Well, he's telling us the incredible privileges that we, God has given us in Christ. They've been blessed beyond measure. And yes, they may be in difficulties, but these difficulties are just for a little while in light of eternity. And so you've experienced salvation despite your suffering. You can experience the love of Jesus and learn to love him, even though you cannot see him, because you have joy inexpressible in your heart because of the work of the Spirit. And you are experiencing salvation. You've experienced salvation. You're experiencing salvation. And you will experience salvation. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought I would uh, end. I don't know. Is, uh, is Sumi, are you still there? There's is Sumi. Yeah, there you are. I, I was, sorry. Were you paying attention? We had, no, you were there. Um, I was thinking about uh, just 
Sumi is my mother-in-law, in case you're wondering why I'm pointing at Sumi. Um, I was thinking about just a few weeks ago when we went um, and we did that, uh, the service out, uh, the, uh, the funeral service for, um, for Tycho. And, uh, and we saw your, your, your husband's, your late husband's uh, uh, gravestone. And I always remember what Matt wanted engraved on the stone. And he, he wanted, he says, um, it's on the stone, it says, can I say it? It says, in, in Christ alone, the best is yet to come. And I thought that that's it right there. In Christ alone, the best is yet to come. And I remember when he was uh, struggling uh, with his cancer, that that was something that he, he keeps saying, the best is yet to come. In Christ alone, the best is yet to come. And I think that's that's First Peter, right? You want to unmute yourself if you're, if you're saying something? <laughs> oh, oh, and he always, he always talked about the inexpressible joy. Oh, yeah. Well, he loved First Peter. I seem to remember. He really loved the book of First Peter. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. talked about the inexpressible joy that he, that's awaiting uh, him. Yeah. Uh, that's powerful. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, in your notes, I have some uh, questions for reflection response. We, we, don't, we don't need to go through them, but I would encourage you to, to look at it and to, to reflect on it. And keep reading through First Peter. I would encourage you to read through First Peter every week. Uh, it takes you all of 15 minutes. And, and, and then you'll have a good sense of what, what he's teaching by the time we get to the end. So let me um, close in prayer. And uh, we will go from here. Does it sound good? Yeah. All right. I'm actually going to ask somebody to pray. I don't know if she's up for it, but uh, Lori, are you okay to pray to close? Yeah. Lori Leonard. <laughs> yeah. I figured you would be. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit. Father, we are just so full of um, praise and glory for you, for you are our Lord and you are our Savior, and you have revealed yourself to us in your word. So we are so grateful, Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you are leading us and guiding us and you are making us new every day. I ask your precious blessing on every single person here. I thank you for David's teaching, and I thank you, Lord, that in the responses, we can all learn and we can deepen our walk with you. Father, I just offer all this grateful prayer to you this evening, and that you would settle each heart here and walk with us throughout this entire week until we meet again. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. All right. Um... We will uh, see you next week. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.